0: A registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow
1: investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, January 17th, 2024 edition, and we are Moving through the third week of the year and option X week. And if you understand the flow dynamics in the market, that often is a pivotal week for markets. And you're starting to see that with a little bit of volatility. We'll get a little bit more color between now and the end of the month as well. Let's uh, see if we get a broader pullback in markets. Uh, but that's the near term. The near term fluctuations, they can be perplexing at times. Mainly, they, they deal in volatility. They deal in flows, right? Is money going into the market? Is money going out of the market? And there are a lot of liquidity dynamics behind the scenes that most people don't think about. So I don't want you guys to get too caught up in it. But understand that when you get a perplexing market, these are the things that are kind of happening Uh, Behind the scenes. But here on this show, we're not going to dive too deep into that. We can get deep into the weeds, but it's really about looking more medium and long term, developing strategies that make sense for you, not what's going to happen over the next week or month, but what's going to happen over the next quarters, years, and even decades. So I'm Justin Klein, and I'm here today to help you become a better investor. And we do this by answering your finance and investment questions. And that's why we encourage you to reach out and ask them at any time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we're going to give you unbiased perspective, developed over 20 plus years of investment experience, Now, we're going to run down the market performance for today as well as some show topics, but as usual, we're going to hit our first caller question now.
2: Hi, Justin Or Steve. was hoping to get your opinion on ticker symbol RGR, Sterum Ruger. I own this company for about two years now. was wondering if you think you would appreciate it or if it's not sell. Thank you. Bye.
1: Well, the technicals are certainly poor. It fell out of bed in early November, falling from about $55 per share all the way in one week down to about 43 And that's where it is today. It's been chopping sideways, the technicals. This is what you call bearish consolidation. It moved down and chopped sideways. And that usually is just bringing power to make another leg lower. And the reason is because earnings from are going from an all-time high of $8.78 to $4.96 last year. And this year or the last uh, few quarters, they've made about 2 bucks a share. Their earnings continue to decline. Now, let me take a look at their balance sheet. Now, now, it's a gun company, right? Sell guns. There's certainly political risk here, shall we say? Uh, It's usually more headline risk than actual risk, just simply because there's a lot of, uh, I would say, polarization around guns. And the reality is, with all the talk about them, there's not a whole lot of legislation one way or the other. Right? The right wants to protect against the left taking away guns, gun rights, but the reality is the left and the left talks about it, about taking it away, but nothing ever gets passed. So most of the time it's just headline risk. So, you know, my issue here is that the growth is just negative. They have a good balance sheet. That's good. Uh, But I, I just hate the technicals. So I think you have better opportunities here. To, you know, with that capital to reinvest it elsewhere. Uh, Until the trends improve, technically, I see zero reason to own this name. Now, we have a lot of ground to cover over the next 40 minutes, and our main focus point concerns this topic. Why have bonds been so volatile? Well, hint inflation. Inflation. And we're going to help you understand that in context to history. And it's not just about inflation in one year. It's how inflation volatility is likely to evolve and what impact that will have on interest rates, tips and the broader U S core bond index. In addition, we're going to touch on domestic stocks versus foreign stocks. Domestic stocks have outperformed mightily over the last decade, but their valuations currently are much higher than foreign stocks. The question is, is that justified? The hint is somewhat, but is that gap too wide? So we're going to look at that. Also, value stocks making a comeback. In markets as we enter the new year. And we're going to talk about whether that could continue. In addition, we're going to touch on Bitcoin ETF flows. How much money has flown in, As yeah, has flowed in, not flown, flowed into these ETFs net, because there has been one ETF that there's a lot of money coming out of. So we're going to talk about that. But ultimately, it's about what's on your mind, not what's on my mind. This is about you and your questions. We have voice bank questions about AVUV as well as SWBI. Now, let's take a look at the market today. We had another follow-through down day on the back of Fed rhetoric that is getting a bit more hawkish after the market is priced in 6-7 rate cuts this year as opposed to the three that they pretty much prognosticated. You also had economic data that came in a bit stronger. Retail sales accelerated. Let me pull this up. Accelerated about a half percent, 0.55%. from last month's or, or uh, November's, a 0.35%. So you had an acceleration in retail sales. Also, industrial production, month over month, grew after November, shrinking slightly. You also had export prices that continued to ebb down another 88 basis points month over month after being down 87 basis points the month before. Import prices were flat after being down the previous month, so that was a bit negative. Mainly that's because of the weaker dollar in the month of December. The biggest negative was New York Fed Business Leader Survey. They continue to see that in negative territory. So but overall the consumer remains strong. And that means a potential for the Fed to get Less dovish, right? They got pretty dovish in the December meeting. And we have a, another Fed meeting coming up here in just in less than two weeks now. 31st, two weeks from today, actually. So that will start coming up quickly. We also have earnings season. Alcoa came out today. That's usually the real start of earnings season. Uh, historically. The bank stocks recently have started to kind of take that lead, the way they, they've changed their reporting. But that will certainly move markets and liquidity. Uh, like I said at the top of the show, we are in option X week. Uh, and that gives you – there there are some flows where basically option dealers have to roll their positions. And depending on whether they're positive gamma or negative gamma, these are, these are option terms. Uh, that can mean they are adding – positions or selling positions. And as options expire, that can change those flows. So it opens up an opportunity for the flows to turn more negative between now and kind of month end. And so we'll be watching for, uh, that to see if this is the period where you get a broader pullback in markets. My base case still though is choppy sideways market, probably for the next couple of months to work off this overbought condition that the market still sits in. Now, as we head to a break, let me make you aware of our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Now, my phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at 888 99
3: Every investor is working to build a secure financial future.
2: Would this be an opportune time to get into annuities?
3: Everyone's situation is different.
2: Get your thoughts on
3: CRM, Salesforce. And so are their questions.
2: And I was just calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. Get your take on Chewy. Picker symbol L-E-C-O. Just wanted to get your opinion on... JP
3: Morgan. Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein.
1: You know, I'm okay paying a fair price for a very good business.
3: Steve Peasley.
1: It's a very well run company. And
3: now Luke Guerrero.
1: EBITDA growth is significantly higher than its competitors.
3: Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. Each podcast is unique and you set the agenda.
2: I will. Hey, hi, Steve. Hi,
3: Steve. 24-7, rain or shine, Talk is made better by the power of you. Call 888-99-CHART. Each day, Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments.
2: Hi, I'm looking for a small cap value ETF. I can't decide between AVUV and PSCI. Both seem good. They do have a different percentage as far as which sectors they're overweight in. One is heavier in financials. The other is not. One is actively managed. The other one is not. The expense ratio is about the same. So I'm wondering, should I just throw half of my allocated money for small cap value into one and half into the other? Or does one look like it's in a much better position to outperform in the near future than the other? Just your opinion. Thank you very much. I listened to the show for over two years now, learning a lot. I
1: really appreciate your comments. Thank you. Now, looking at AVUV and PSCI, and this is pr- pretty simple. You're kind of comparing apples to oranges here. Even though they're both fruits, right? They're both small cap value funds. One is a sector fund. PSCI is the Invesco SP Small Cap. Industrials ETF. So if you're trying to get exposure to industrial, small cap industrials, that's naturally going to be leaning on the value side of the market. And this fund is about 86% industrials, 6% consumer cyclical, 3% basic materials. It's basically an industrial ETF. And I don't have anything against that, but if you're going for some broad-based exposure to small cap value then AVUV is going to be the name. Why? Because it's more spread out now, nothing in utilities, but pretty much has at least 1% in every other sector. The big heavyweights are financial services, 27 industrials, 17, consumer cyclicals, 20. Those are kind of the top three sector exposures. Energy 15 would be uh, number four. So all three, all four of those are in double digits. So, If I'm picking one or the other, if you just want small cap value, this would be the one. If you want small cap industrials, it's a whole nother ball game, then you pick PSCI. Now we're heading into a break. I welcome your finance and investment questions right now. No question is too simple or too complex. And what's most important is that you set the agenda each and every day, not me. We can talk about whatever's on our mind, but this show is about you. So give InvestTalk a call at 888 chart
3: Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. How they get there and when they get there, that depends on many variables. The more you learn about how the market works, the better your chances. So don't forget to
1: call InvestTalk eight 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 ninety nine chart Now, our main focus point concerns this topic. Why have bonds been so volatile? Now, most people say, oh, because the Fed, the Fed's raising rates. Well, yes, but there is, that's kind of the end result. And it's really about inflation. Now, last year, bonds broke a two-year losing streak. But by one measure, the bond market was still one of the most volatile years in history, or had one of the most volatile years in history. And so what we're returning to is a more normal volatility regime, where you can have those type of years. Now, historically, bonds have been much less volatile than stocks. That's why a lot of people have them in their portfolio, to provide stability. No good measure of volatility is standard deviation. And from 2014 through the end of 2021, the U.S. core bond index averaged only a 0.2 standard deviation whereas the broader stock market averaged a quarterly standard deviation of 0.94 so showing that equities are near were over that time period were nearly 5 times more volatile than bonds however in 2022 and 2023 the average standard deviation per quarter more than doubled in the bond market to 0.45 and the stock market did go up to about 1.2 So there's a little bit more equity volatility, but a lot more bond market volatility. And so, like I said at the top, this really goes to inflation. Inflation volatility was pretty much non-existent for the post-financial crisis era and really from 1984 on. Between 1984 and 2020, inflation stayed in a band between about one and a half and four and a quarter percent. And post-financial crisis, it was kind of between the one and 3% range. So most people are just aren't used to this. They aren't used to this level of inflation volatility. But the reality is, if you go before 1984... Inflation volatility was a normal part of our economies. Wasn't until the Fed really got active in suppressing yields and doing quantitative easing that really kept yields lower. And we've talked before, I did a a segment a couple weeks ago about how the studies, if you actually look at it, lower bond yields actually produced lower economic growth outside of crisis periods. So it makes sense that that lower economic growth was producing lower than average inflation and low inflation volatility. But now that has shifted. Policymakers are raising rates. And you see the economy does continue to keep growing. A lot of people think that was going to be the death knell of the economy. Obviously it wasn't. And last year, there were a lot of big swings in the bond market. Started the year, and everyone was thinking more rate hikes. There were no problems on the horizon. Inflation was still year over year relatively elevated. You know, by the beginning of, of last year, it was coming down, but still in the 5 or 6% range. Then we had the banking crisis, and then the market shifted. Oh, they're going to cut rates because of a banking crisis. Well, they did BTFP. Kind of papered over the problems, and guess what? In the summer, the economy reaccelerated, and then they flipped the other way, and that's when you got rates go all the way up to ten percent, or sorry, five percent on the ten year. And then by the fourth quarter, flipped the other way. Hey, inflation's coming down, economy's moderating, job market's moderating. Hey, we're going to ease next year. And so that's why you had such high volatility last year. But the reality is, that's what the, the economy is likely to be going forward. It's going to have fits and starts, but the, the consistent fiscal spending, right, that is built in to our budgets through the entitlements and now our demographics Likely to mean nominal economic growth. That means higher inflation and higher inflation volatility. So the question is how does this impact your strategy? Well, it's simple shorten durations, take a little bit of credit risk. Because in that environment, higher inflation is good when you're taking credit risk just not duration risk. So that's kind of an overview of what's happened over the past couple of years in the bond market and where things are kind of headed. Now on the next Talk, we'll look into the story highlighted by this topic. Troubled loans are putting pressure on four major banks. And will say non-performing loans and loans to debtors that haven't made a payment in over 90 days rose to a combined 24.4 billion in the latest quarter. That's story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy, and where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip, or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. Let's go talk to John. He's in San Jose. Wants we'll to talk about the Fed rates versus long-term rates.
4: Yes. Uh, hi, Justin. Can you hear me? Is yeah, John? sure. Yeah. Uh, l- love your show. Thanks for all the unbiased view and information that you provide. Appreciate Just it. Love it. Thank you very much. Yeah, the question that I have is about the federal funds rate, which is supposedly the overnight rate that banks and institutions charge each other mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. how is that how does that percolate uh, through the economy and it impacts long term rates is there a cause and effect uh, relationship between the two
1: yes there is now the short term fed rates they uh, impact your returns you get on savings accounts money market accounts things like that short term investments, very short-term investments versus most borrowing rates, like your mortgage, they are tied to things like the 10-year treasury rate. And that is more, it is influenced by the Fed, especially their willingness to buy or sell the mortgage bonds in their balance sheet. So there's a lot more in today's world than just the Fed funds rate when it comes to Fed policy. There's a lot of things behind the scenes, you know, the size of their balance sheet, reverse repo, uh, uh, whether they're doing QE or QT, um, you know, there's a lot, there's an alphabet soup of things that, that they do behind the scenes that kind of piece the system together and and, and keep things moving in the direction that they want. Because frankly, short-term rates are a very, very blunt tool because as I said, they, they influence short-term. Uh, they they control those short-term, but they only influence the long-term. The long-term, that has to do with the supply and demand of Treasury bonds. That's another thing that's happening now is that Treasury is trying to change the way they issue bonds in order to, lately, issue more short-term and less long-term to try to keep rates from kind of blowing out to the upside on the long end, I think the 10-year. Or I think long-term, you think 10 years uh, plus. So the Fed has an influence on those long-term rates. In today's world, it's actually more the Treasury and their issuance schedule that has an influence on the long-term rates. Uh, But obviously, they do control, uh, the Fed does control the short-term rates and whether they're raising or lowering. Does that make sense?
4: Yeah, yeah, it does. I think that kind of puts it in perspective. But then why does the equity market get so nervous about the Fed funds rate? And as opposed to the real long term rates, which really are determined by the bond traders assessment of the economy, right? Uh, or the, How do they perceive uh, the economy going to be right? So why does market react so violently to Fed funds rate?
1: Uh, pretty, pretty simple. One word is liquidity. So whether yes. the Fed is raising or lowering short term rates, that typically will influence the liquidity in the market. And in fact, that's how they change those short term rates. Is they pull dollars out of the system if they're trying to raise rates and it pushes those short-term rates up. If they're trying to ease, they're trying to lower rates, they actually put dollars in the system. They go buy short-term instruments, right, and push the price up, yield down, okay? So that – it's it's a liquidity thing. And that's what most people – they, they get sidetracked with this, with the rate, ultimate, you know, what what rates are uh, from the Fed fund, from the Fed funds rate. But what's more important is what are they doing with QT? That's why I thought the b- biggest news that was underappreciated, underreported over the past month or so is that the Fed, not that they're going to cut rates next year, it's that they're talking about winding down QT, ending QT, keeping their balance sheet stable, as opposed to letting that balance sheet slowly shrink over time by doing QT so what's that's what's more impactful is what is happening with the Fed balance sheet that is what you should follow the most is the Fed balance sheet going up or is it going down not necessarily what the Fed is doing with rates they can keep rates flat and the balance sheet could rise or fall depending on kind of the policy behind the scenes I see yeah
4: that expensive that uh, I don't considered that. That. Thank you. Thank you yeah. for uh, the, that clarifying that. That's a good perspective. I <laughs>
1: appreciate it. No problem, John. And you know, I think what it is is people are you people are, say it's terrifying. Well, it, it, to a degree, but it's also, I think, an understanding from the Fed that their tools are very blunt. And you need multiple policy tools in a complex system like we have in order to have the desired effect because, as I talked before, raising and lowering rates, that actually doesn't have the desired impact that most people, or especially policymakers, think it has on the broader economy outside of those crisis periods. So they need these other tools to be a little bit more directed with their policy. In addition, because we have a system where there's so much debt, so much, especially domestic government debt, that the Fed's number one job, well they can say it's the economy and inflation, it's really about keeping the Treasury solvent, become the country solvent. And that's why you're probably going to see increasing use of this alphabet soup of policies behind the scenes to raise and lower liquidity and paper over issues like you saw with the Silicon Valley crisis. So that's why when people say, oh, everything's going to hell in a handbasket," Sure, maybe eventually, but in the long run, as Cain said, we're all dead. So who knows how long they can kind of keep the system moving. And in the most powerful country in the world, probably able to paper over any issues and create these uh, these policies and these uh, facilities a lot longer than you expect now let's talk a little bit about that a little bit about the US versus foreign stocks so we're going to look at we're we'll pivot over to the equity markets and what you've seen over the last decade is that US stocks have drastically outperformed foreign stocks and the valuation gap right now is about 50% meaning the P ratio on MSCI world X US is at about 15 times the S&P backward looking is at about 24 times So that gap is, is pretty wide. And everybody talks, oh, every year it's like, oh, well, international stocks are going to outperform. And that certainly can be true, but, but will it close that gap dramatically? And the answer is probably not. Why is that? Why does capital continue to flow to the US? Now, the first is we're a very large country with high GDP per, per capita. We have deep and liquid capital markets. We have internal, an internal economy that insulates us from a lot of global economic turbulence. We have the best demographics of any large economy besides India. We have the highest labor productivity in the world. We're the largest producer of oil and gas. And we export more agricultural commodities than any other country in the world. And we also have Silicon Valley and we are the tech leader worldwide, undisputed. Name a tech giant that's not an American company. And we have deep research pools, both university at the university level as well as corporate level. And that's why earnings from the U.S. have outpaced the rest of the world over the long term. And that's likely to continue. So just as you would pay extra, you know, a higher multiple for growth stock over uh, a company that's growing like the overall economy, same thing here. You should be willing to pay extra for U.S. companies more broadly than foreign names because of that long-term growth. And if you remove the impact of the mag 7, the high multiples that they trade at, the difference in in the premium is pretty small. Traded about 17.3 times if you take out those seven names. So you're talking about 15 times for foreign markets and 17 times for U.S. stocks, X, the Mag7, and if you adjust for sector weightings as well, the difference also shrinks. Again, so the reality is, if you are looking at the indexes, yes, you're oh, you're, you're you're getting you're paying a, a large premium basically for those Mag7. So don't think that just because it's trading at a, a massive premium that you, would, you, you just continue to diversify, diversify away from U.S. stocks. No, it's just about finding the right mix of U.S. stocks. And uh, likely those are going to outperform longer term, those foreign names. Now let's take another question from eighty-eight ninety-nine chart This one came from here in Orange County, California.
2: Hi, Steve, Justin, I'm Luke, big fan here from Orange County. I hope everything's all right with, with Steve and hope to hear back soon. Just wanted to ask you about UTI universal technical Institute. It's on a tear this year and and last year. And I've been in since, uh, yeah, about $7. That's when I got in and just wondering if you think it's a good idea to load up more on this and, uh, hold it long-term curious to hear your thoughts and thanks again. Appreciate your all the work that you guys do. Thanks so much. Hmm.
1: Universal Technical Institute provides undergraduate degrees as well as certificate programs for technical technicians in the automotive, diesel, collision repair, motorcycle, and marine fields. Interesting. I like this that they're you know in the, the uh, an area that is we don't have enough skilled labor here. And I kind of like where this is at because I do think that there is kind of a a reshuffling of the way our education system is looking. Not every kid out of high school needs to go to college. And I think more and more people, because of the price of college, are realizing that. That why go waste four years when you don't really know exactly what you want to do. And you can go to a technical school that will teach you in-demand skills. And so I like the business here. Earnings are up 48%. Expect to be up 48% this year. Another 25% next year. Let me look at their balance sheet here. A little bit of debt, but nothing too crazy. Fine with it. Cash from operations, about 50 million on a $467 million stock. So it's a small cap. My issue is profitability. Return on equity is only 5.6%. And maybe they're spending that to bring in more students. I'm not sure. But long-term, their profitability tends to be pretty good. So I like what you're looking at. I don't love that profitability currently it's definitely overbought but like i said i like what this is where the trends within the education space are going and this is right in the heart of that so i probably wouldn't buy it today but a pullback let me give you i mean if it got to nine it'd be great but yeah i would just say the 100 day moving average right now that's at about 10 bucks Let's squeeze in one more question before the break.
2: Hi, how are you guys doing? I have a question regarding a stock or a company called Fox Factory Holding. And uh, just wanted to get your uh, idea of its valuation at the moment. Thank you very much. That's all.
1: All right. Fox Factory Holding make high-performance suspension products using mountain bikes and off-road and all-terrain vehicles. The issue here is that earnings are in a backslide, especially the last two quarters. Last quarter, earnings were down 22%. Revenues were down 19%. And it looks like you're getting somewhat of a reversion to the mean here but I do like long-term that they have been growing their profitability. Just trying to pull up some data here. Hmm. I haven't heard of this one. It's about a mid-cap name. Technicals are poor though. That's my issue is that this fell out of bed in November, probably in the latest earnings report, and it hasn't been able to recover just chopping sideways in the low 60s. And that is bearish to me. Now, if you look at the business, though, it's not bad. Valuation. Enterprise value to EBIT around 11. Turn equity about 15 times. Longer term profitability is solid, although it's uh, kind of the lower end of that trend. And they have pretty much no debt on their balance sheet. So I like that but I would need the technicals to improve. So I need this above the 100-day moving average for this to get me excited. Uh, It'd be on my watch list, I'd be monitoring it for a turnaround in the business. And I think you'll first get a breakout in the stock above that 100-day as a signal. Now we're heading into our final break, so give me a a call now at 888-99-CHART.
3: Everybody wants a secure financial future. That means you'll have finance and investment questions. InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART.
1: Hey, Justin. My name is Travis from Minnesota. I have a question regarding active managed retirement accounts. I've accumulated enough in my retirement accounts where I'm thinking about, you know, active management versus indexing, you know, on an S&P 500 for 20, 30 years, wondering what your thoughts are on that and paying that fee for active management uh, for potentially better performance. Thanks, love the show, bye. Well, it all depends on who the manager is and what fee they're charging, right? That's what we do. We manage active accounts and we charge a fee for that. And to our clients, it's more than worth it. So it depends on who you're thinking about. Uh, you know, do you want someone local? Do you want some, do you care, All right. For a lot of our clients, a lot of our clients are out of the area. So, but we communicate, you know, via phone, email, video conferencing. Um, and sometimes that's okay. Sometimes people want someone local. Uh, yeah. So it's hard for me to say, yes, you should do it or no, you shouldn't because that really all depends on who it is and what fee they are charging and what strategy they're deploying for you. Is it simple and straightforward or is it something that's uh, truly adds value? Okay. Now, lastly, let's touch on the Bitcoin ETF. ETFs. Excuse me. We know that got approved last week and the first three days of trading is telling us a lot about the fund flows. As I've always said, fund flows are very important in the near term. And what's interesting is that There were $900 million in net flows into these ETFs in the first three days. That's substantial, but it does fall short of the single fund launch of the Bitcoin futures ETF in October of 2021. So it shows you that the volatility that Bitcoin has had over the past few years has highlighted for many that, you know it's a volatile asset class that you have to be careful with because there are what i think there are 9 different funds blackrock is the largest they pulled in 723 million fidelity 545 million those are the top 2 but it was offset by about 1.2 billion in outflows of the grayscale Bitcoin trust, which was more of a, I think it was trading as a exchange traded note, I believe, or a closed end fund. That's what it was. So a lot of that money that was coming out of grayscale and into these Bitcoin ETFs, uh, but net net, there was still about 900 million of new cash, new dollars going into these funds. Now, Bitcoin has gone up a lot into this news, but it's fallen 6% since the approval. So it just goes to show you that these are typically buy the rumor, sell the news type of events. I talked about the spot Bitcoin or the futures Bitcoin ETF that was launched in October 21, and it marked pretty much the high in Bitcoin. And the question is, will this mark the near term high as well? I think that's all going to depend on do those flows continue? Or do the flows reverse out? Because uh, Bitcoin historically is a proxy for liquidity. We talked about that caller about liquidity and what the Fed is doing behind the scenes, etc. And there's strong correlation with financial conditions whether they're easing or tightening and bitcoin prices and those financial conditions oftentimes are influenced by those fed liquidity facilities that they either grow or shrink and so as i i think i've said this before but you know near term i'm pretty bearish on bitcoin but medium term You know, once you get a situation where the Fed has to come in and be more accommodative in order to keep our fiscal situation moving along, I think that's when that may be a better time to be in these harder assets like Bitcoin or or gold. So just a heads up there um, and an overview of what is happening in the Bitcoin ETF market. And I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Stephen, I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast download, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well.
0: Independent thinking, shared success. This Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them.